So going uh, to 96 now, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but from my vantage point, it seems like you were starting to get this reputation as the guy with the great voice that sings an awesome slow song. Right. So when So Much for Pretending comes out, is it you kind of trying to buck that trend a little bit, or is it just ha- how it worked out? Well, I still think today it's harder to write an up-tempo than it is a ballad. It, for me, it always has been, because I think the standard is always so much higher in my head for an up-tempo. I just, I've always had this cheese meter in my head. I'm like, you know, anytime something started to sound uh, contrived or cheesy, I, I just would, I would cringe, you know, and I always, it was always like tough to get one past me, you know, and so I, I think with, with so much for pretending, I, I just kind of set out to do something really different and I wanted it to be cool and fresh and, uh, and uh, so I, I think, I think that's really where that came from. And, and, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. There there was part of me that was like, man, I, I do need some more up-tempos. I, I, I don't want to be pigeonholed. Um, so, you know, that was – but that was always the hardest challenge was to to find and write those up-tempos like that. So, And even today when I'm, you know, putting a set list together for a show, uh, I, I I think that's still – that's still kind of the, the – a, a bit of the – the task is to to try to balance out your set list so you're it's not so ballad heavy in one part of it, you know. And from there, a few more up tempos would come. You know, sitting on go was another number one for you, which was another one of my favorites. Where does that rank for you? Well, I, I love it. I love it because it was number one. No, <laughs> um, I, I, it, it was different. You know, I think I always wanted the up tempos to be different. You know, um, and that was a song that. Uh, Josh Leo wrote, and I heard the demo, and I was like, "Man, this is this is really cool." I loved how I loved key changes where they lifted into the chorus, and that was one that did that. And um, so that that's kind of what grabbed me. I just love the melody. I love the fact that it was different. In fact, you know, if you if you go listen to all of my up tempos, they really are different. You know, they're not like everybody else's. And I think that was, uh, I mean, that's ultimately what you set out to do when you make records is you want them to stand out you want them to be different and i I think that's definitely one thing one element that that definitely does make make it stand out a little bit you know you were fortunate enough to work with so many big names in the music business and and big names that were a little bit more behind the scenes but anybody who's in the music business knows these names um marcus humman helped write love is the right place which was the first release off of your next album the right place there and in 1997 what was it like working with guys like that well uh i didn't know those guys then uh tommy sims and and, uh marcus humman i didn't know them at that at the time but i got to know them a few years later uh kind of post 90s and wrote songs with them and in fact tommy came to church with me one time and we did love is the right place at church together and uh and we wrote a, a couple songs together marcus and i have written several songs together and we've done several uh you know writers nights here in nashville i love marcus he's he's tremendous i mean he's just such a a super nice guy he's he's literally lived nine lives and so he's kind of like this walking encyclopedia of knowledge you know and his his wife is awesome he's a really great basketball player he's, he's you know he's just really really great great human being and such a talented guy so um yeah i've gotten to know those guys over the years and uh, I admired him back then, but I have, I have uh, even a, a deeper admiration for, for 
for those guys now. <laughs> I was just talking to Garth Brooks' daughter, uh, Allie Colleen, and she brought up Marcus Humman. It seems like everybody I talked to, he gets brought up. So I, I saw him listed as a songwriting credit on yours and just figured I'd get, get your thoughts on him. He, keep, he keeps coming up in these conversations. <laughs> yeah, he's, he is, he's top-notch. In fact, I have really great memories of going over to his house in, in Nashville and, you know, you're playing basketball and writing for a little bit and going out and grabbing Cajun food. And I mean, he's just had sweet, and we wrote some really cool songs together. You know, they weren't hits or anything, but at the end of the day, you know, you aspire to write something that moves you and moves everybody else. And so, um, you know, he, he was a, he's a, just a tremendous guy and such a, an awesome talent. Well, I wish we had time to talk about every single one of your songs, but I do want to make sure and get your thoughts on one you recorded with Shania Twain in 1998 from this moment on. Yeah. One of the great country slow songs of, of all time, really, and you and an icon of Shania Twain get to do that together. What was that like? It was uh, probably like you would guess. It was kind of otherworldly and surreal, and uh, I think the... Uh, you looking back, I mean, retrospect, it's always, you know, 2020, you know, and you, and you look back and you go, wow, I can't believe I was in the middle of that scenario out of all the people that, you know, they could have called. I mean, there's a ton of, there's a ton of singers out there that could, you know, sing circles around me. And, but the fact that I, you know, got to sit in that chair was such a, a privilege, you know, and it was such a great song. I, I wish I'd have been one of the writers on it. You know, it was a, uh, when I heard the demo, when they gave me the demo, uh, you know, it's like you said, you know, do you, how do you know, do you know if it's a hit? Do you know it's a hit immediately? And, you know, I, I won't say I knew it was a hit, but I will say that uh, if a song ever had potential of being a hit, it was definitely that, you know, because when I heard the demo and I, in, in deep in my brain, I was going, oh, wow, I'm, I'm going to get to sing this, you know. I, I just couldn't, you know, it was really hard to describe how, excited i was to get in and and uh start carving on this thing so and i think shania you know she'll always be one of the, the biggest iconic artists of all time and and uh you know it it really does mean a lot to to uh be asked to be a part of something like that and for because of that you know it it lives forever you know when i'm long and gone people will be able to listen to that and say wow what a what a great recording and just very privileged to be a part of it you know did Shania or Shania's camp come to you and ask you to be a part of it? Is that how it happened? They called me, actually. Uh, believe it or not, uh, back in 1997, we, we actually did have a cell phone on the bus, but, but nobody <laughs> used it because it was like it was so expensive. You know, it's like, don't use this phone unless it's an emergency, you know, or somebody's dying, you know. Um, <laughs> and so uh, uh, Mutt and Shania called uh, – called that phone and it was early in the morning and back then early in the morning was just a you know i just didn't get up early i was so young i mean i'd, I'd sleep all day you know <laughs> and, and i thought it was kind of a prank or something i didn't know i thought you know, probably thought I, I was missing a phone a, a phone interview or something i was like man did i oversleep or something and, <laughs> and they said no it's shania and and mutt lang on the phone and you know so of course i you know, bucked up and cleared my throat and and tried to sound like I'd been awake for two hours. You know? <laughs> um, and they were writing the song. They were right in the middle of writing it, and they said, "Hey, we, we love your voice. You remind us of Paul Carrick and Shania." I said, "You're one of my favorite singers." And 
would you be willing to to be a part of this you know with me and i you know naturally i said absolutely would just tell me when to be there and i'll be there and so i when they were next time they were in nashville i i went by the studio they were working in and and uh and they sang the demo for me live they they put this cassette in this little jam box and they literally sang it for me live, just sat there in front of me and, and play and sang it and recorded it, handed me the cassette and said, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. And, and that was it. The rest is history, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, so you loved your voice, just like we all love your voice. Did your voice um, take any training? Did you have to get vocal coaches to help you be this good? Or is, is that all natural? I, I, I would say if I had a vocal coach, it was, it was Steve Warner because I, you know, uh, I just ate that music up. I just absorbed it. And I, I was really drawn to Steve's phrasing and the way that he, uh, you know, his compression and the way he phrased lines and the way he would, uh, you know, his vibrato and just everything. So I would say, you know, that was kind of my vocal coach in, t- in terms of just developing who I, who I wanted to be as a singer but now, many, many years later, you know, you, you obviously get into some bad habits on the road and, and, and lots of different things. All vocalists get into bad habit situations, and they need to go to a vocal coach. So I've definitely been to my fair share of, of vocal coaches, for sure. Um, because, you know, every, it's kind of like, you know, you, you have to kind of take care of yourself, and, and it's so easy to fall into, you know, bad patterns, and you need somebody to kind of get you back on track. So. When I think of great singers in country music, you know, I think of you, I think of Steve, I think of Vince Gill, uh, like a Colin Ray maybe. And maybe I'm just thinking of all guys who sing maybe on the higher register there, but just all just pure voices. Um, did I leave anybody out? Who, who else would you kind of list as a great singer, a vocalist? Man, I think hands down uh, Ronnie Millsap's got to fall in there. Okay. For sure in that category. Uh, Tim Menzies. Tim Menzies. Not, not a lot of people know who Tim Menzies is, but Tim had a brief run as a as an artist, but wrote a ton of hits for people. But uh, yeah, I'd say Ronnie Millsap for sure. I'd say it's a good choice, and I could also tell you have a love for those '80s country singers, kind of like I have a love for the '90s singers. Before I let you go, I do want to mention your podcast, which you recently started up. Is that something you're still currently working on? I am, but but I will I will honestly tell you, uh, Glenn, I. It's it's taken a little bit of a break with all that's gone, been going on. Um, you know, everybody's kind of scrambling, uh, trying to figure out what to do because not a lot of people want to get get to together in person. So you know, I'm having to sort of reconfigure, and um, I'm kind of learning learning the ropes on the Zoom thing. I, it looks like I'm going to have to start doing a lot of them via Zoom, but yeah. it is still going nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, because what I've seen so far has been more face-to-face, and obviously that's tough to do right now. But what's the format of the podcast? What do you guys talk about? So far, it's been uh, – I, I didn't want to start out with too big of a script. I wanted – I just wanted to have real-life conversations with the artist, and, and, and they've, it, they've been really good. I love – you know, kind of the recurring – kind of the, the theme that, that sort of uh, – coming out of all of them is you know basically just life on the road how do you take care of yourself how do you you know stay in shape and and keep your energy level up how do you balance family life and road life and then uh you know we talk a lot about you know the the music side of things you know how do you approach a record how do you 
when you're doing vocals, how, how, what do you like to do? Do you have a, reg, a, a regimen when you're working on vocals in the studio? You know, just kind of, we go from technical stuff to, to, uh, to uh, just family life and, you know, taking care of yourself and, you know, just kind of a normal conversation. And I'm guessing that's just available wherever you find podcasts, right? Yeah, if you go to, uh, you know, just your normal podcast app on your phone, you can type me in and find it. Or you can go to my website and you can navigate to it through, from there as well. Fantastic. Or I, I saw it on your Facebook page. I think you can link to it there as well. Are there any other new projects you're working on right now? Yeah, I'm I'm working on a new single, um, and it, I'm I don't have a release date. That's the thing when you're kind of doing your own thing and you're not on a label, you you kind of have to keep yourself, you know, you need somebody to crack the whip on you, so to speak. <laughs> so I don't have a I don't have a street date as of right now, but I am working on a new single that'll be out within the next month. So and and traveling, you know, normally traveling quite a bit. Um, dates are starting to come back in, which is great. Um, so. There's a good chance you can catch me out there somewhere in the next, uh, you know, six months. And I usually keep everybody. We keep the, the website pretty updated with the tour schedule. And so, uh, come see me if you if you see a date on on the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully everybody can get back to a full touring schedule soon. He's a man with six number one hits, nearly five billion albums sold, and one of my favorites, Brian White in the Honky Tonk Time Machine. Brian, thanks so much for doing this. Hey, anytime, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I had a blast.